Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. And welcome to another episode of Snapshots in Hockey History, where we relive the hockey highlight reel. My name is Brett Small. As always, just a friendly reminder, Snapshots in Hockey History is a listener-supported podcast brought to you free of charge every single Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. I will never ask you for a dollar out of your pocket for this podcast, but if you want to do something nice, you want to give us a hand, it's hugely appreciated if you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes or on Facebook or really wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media at Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History and on Twitter at Snapshots in. I've noticed on Thursdays my intros are really, really short, and that's probably because during the playoffs I'm up all night watching hockey, and last night was no different. I checked out the San Jose Sharks and Colorado Avalanche game, a little bit of controversy, but really happy to see the San Jose Sharks move on in the next round. I'm a huge fan of Joe Thornton, and I'm really impressed with how the playoffs have shaped up so far this year. I mean, when you look at it, we're going to have a team that really hasn't won it in a while definitely win the Stanley Cup. You've got Carolina. They haven't won it in at least a decade, over a decade. Um, San Jose's never won it. Colorado hasn't won it in probably a decade. And Boston, I think the last one they had was in 2011. So um, definitely it's always nice to see. I get tired of seeing the same teams over and over again uh, winning the Stanley Cup. So I'm glad to see that. Congrats to Brett Harkins, our guest today. His Bruins moved on to the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. I know he's pumped. We're going to go ahead and cut to his interview. We pick up right where we left off after part one. We get into 1997. He talks about the big trade. He talks about that took place with the Boston. Boston Bruins. Uh, if you're if you're a Bruins fan, you'll like this. He gets into Ray Bork and and uh, so much more. So, anyways, we're going to cut to that, and we'll talk soon. As we close out the year, the team was struggling a bit, closing out four games under 500 with a record of 13, seven, and six. It seemed like the team struggled off the ice with injuries, which had to contribute to the record. You've been there a month and a half now. Are you still looking over your shoulder going, okay, am I going to be going down 95? Or are you starting to get comfortable? What were your, I mean. I was, I was starting to get comfortable. You know, I, 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 you know, I, I started to fit in a little bit more. I kind of got my role. I ended up playing, you know, I ended up sliding into that third line center spot, whether it was with Troy Millette and Sandy Moger, or whether it was Troy Millette and Sheldon Kennedy, or whether it was Odgers and somebody else. You know, I, I kind of fit into that, kind of stole that third. I don't know who would have been there playing center before I was got that job, because then I kind of, you know, I kind of solidified that for the lat for until the end of the year. I remember um, Rob DeMaio was on that team, but I can't remember if Rob was yeah, a center or not. I think Robbie might have been a center. Might have been, so, but he yeah, was in and out of the lineup. I don't think he played all the. I mean, I think Robbie was in and out of the lineup, so it might have been him. Might have been one of the guys that I took. Maybe took his spot. We actually did an episode with him earlier this year. He's another guy you okay. might run into every now and then. I know he's a St. Louis Blue Scout. Yeah, I haven't seen Robbie. I, the guy that I run into all the time for them is Kachuk, Keith Kachuk, who could who could be the best guy ever. In I was the gonna say I've world. heard nothing but he's, great stories. Oh my about god, him. he's the best. He is the best ever. So you're getting more comfortable, as you said. How did you know that you were performing well? Did management communicate with you at all? And, and who would that be? Who would be the type of person that would kind of say, hey, you're doing good. We're, we're happy with what you're what you're doing. The only one that would be that would have been the coaches. You know what I mean? Because the GM and that stuff don't talk to the players as much as they do now. They're a little bit more involved now than they were back then. You know, OC would have been around. Obviously, Harry, but Harry wouldn't come down and talk to us at all. You know, I knew OC more because he was the Providence guy. You know, okay. so that's kind of where I knew because he was the assistant general manager at the time. Um so 
So Sinden was kind of, that's what, one of the things I wanted to ask you. Was he still active in the day-to-day stuff? And I feel like he was, but he almost wasn't. Because you don't he, really... well, he definitely was, but he wasn't. You wouldn't see him around the dressing room. Like you'll yeah. see Sweeney's down in the dressing room now. Like you'll see, you know, you don't see those. You didn't back then. You didn't see those guys around. You know, you just didn't. It was the just a different time. I mean, this was twenty. Yeah, it was just ago. different. Yeah, exactly. On January first, the team starts off nineteen ninety seven with a loss, but things start to look up with an OT win in Hartford, as well as a big win against the Dallas Stars. You had two assists against the Dallas Stars, including one on a goal scored by Bruins team captain and legend Ray Bork. I feel like Bork is one of these guys that everybody respects, and I have to ask you about him. Can you um, share the with one me? thing? The one thing that I'll say about him, like besides being the the best guy, and I I'll never forget. I was we were in Pittsburgh that year. We were and we were walking over because back then all the autograph people knew where you stayed. So we were mm-hmm. walking over from the hotel, and I was walking with Bubba, and he signed. An autograph, he signed autographs the entire way, like from the moment that we left the hotel till we got to the igloo, he signed autographs. You know, then as soon as he walked in the rink, he was done. You know, and it's especially with him, you know, we would talk a little bit about it. He'd be like, you know, it's it's tough when I'm trying to watch Ryan when he would try and watch Ryan and what's the other one? Uh, oh, 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 Ryan Bork Chris, and um, Chris, yep. Chris and Ryan. He was like, Chris, and it was funny because Chris, you could tell Chris was going to be a hockey player. Ryan could care less. Ray would be like, Ryan would be sitting there during the play, would be going, but I mean, end up Ryan ended up being a good player too. But Bubba would say, Ryan would be the guy that would stop and say, Dad, the roof is leaking while the play's going on. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, you know, and, and I've heard that as a captain, he was really good. But but what was his style as a captain? I know Mark Messier was the type of guy that would come in and, and just talk and everybody would listen. What was Bork like? Ray was more like a coach, more like a kind of a coach than than a vocal leader like Messier. You mm-hmm. know, Ray would Ray was more of a quiet guy than that. You know, he just, I mean, he let his game mostly do the talking, but he would also, you know, he would help. I mean, him and Cass were really good friends, you know, because they played together. You know what I mean? So it was kind of like having another coach back there. Hmm. Bruins tough guy who I know you also played with Jeff Osgers contributed during this uh, two game stand. He had goals in each game. Not a guy we've ever talked about on the podcast. Anything you can share? Probably one of the toughest guys. I mean, I would say when I say toughest guys I've ever played with, I've never seen guys take a guy that take a beating like he would take a beating and it never even phased him. Come right back the next shift. If the guy wanted to fight, he'd fight again. You know what I mean? Like he was just scary. Like, Nothing would hurt that guy ever. I mean, even if he got cut, he'd come back out, fight that same guy. He was obviously great for me because he would stay. He was my bodyguard, so oh, it was it gave fun. You so much room. Yeah, I had a lot more room, which was great for me, especially you know being a younger guy. It was good for me. I would have to say that I still Google this every once in a while. Is this probably one of the scariest things? Even, and I can't believe it doesn't get more play. Is it if you Google the Troy Millette Murray Baron fight from that year? I don't know if you haven't done it yet. You have to do it and watch Millette knock out Murray Barron. It's unbelievable. I'll have to see that one because I, I know Millette was a tough guy, and I know Odgers yeah. was, was when you yeah. said tough. It's funny. When I think of him, there was a fight against Stephen Pete, uh, and this was years later. Pete was with the yeah. Capitals, Odgers with the Tampa, uh, with the Atlanta Thrashers, and yeah. Odgers got his face smashed in and yeah. just kept getting yeah. up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what he was. You couldn't. He's one of those guys you'd have to kill him, I think, to, to, to claim a win in a fight. Like, you'd have to kill that guy, I think. Whereas Millette was, was just a farm a, boy. Yeah, it was just, just a, a farm big boy. farm boy. Yeah. Millette was just a, he was the hitter. He was a tough guy. Yeah, from Millette the sense played of, more of a power forward type of game. But yeah, when he knocked, like I said, you have to Google and watch this. And you, you know, it's Canadians, Bruins, which is why I don't, I can't believe it doesn't get more, you know, more play. More, just, you don't it, see it on more, on yeah. more. Yeah, you don't see it because it was, you know, it was Bruins. 
Bruins Canadians and it was out cold one punch. It was scary. I was on the ice because obviously that was my line. I was actually thinking I might have been on the ice with Bogues. Might have been me, Bogues, and Malia. That was crazy. I mean, how do you react after that? Are you just like, God, I hope that guy's okay? You're, I mean, you're so into the game and you can see the guy's eyes back in his head. And back then, oh. I mean, heck, well, they, you know, if, if, he, if he could play the next shift, they'd play him, right? That's just how it was back then, you know. But this guy was really knocked out and he was bleeding. There was blood all over the ice, all over his face. And it was like, ugh. Man, have times changed. Yeah. You talked about the Montreal-Boston rivalry, and, and I'm sure that's a memory that sticks out to you from that rivalry. Is there anything else that really sticks out to you? Just how intense and the media and how big how big the media was being, you know, when we'd go into Montreal, and I, I mentioned this to you before about the Sheldon Kennedy thing, but just going and playing in the old form, because right around that time was when kind of all the new arenas were just kind of coming into it, which is good for me because I kind of got to play in some of the new and some of the old arenas. Mm-hmm. But going into the old Montreal form and playing there was obviously special for, you know, any hockey player. Any young player, for sure, especially playing Bruins Montreal. Speaking of arenas, and and I definitely want to touch on Sheldon Kennedy. He's actually my next question. Uh, you played in Hartford, and this would be the last time the Hartford Whalers played in Hartford. Oh, really? What I, I believe it was this last season. I think it was 96, okay. 97 was their last one. Okay. I mean, you're there. What was it like in Hartford? Our, our guys, it just seemed like the team was really down at that point. Yeah, I mean, and you could tell the fans were down because it, they knew they were moving, you know what I mean? And that's a tough thing to go through for anybody, for the players, the fans, everybody, if you know the team is leaving. And, you know, it's going to be a hard place to start for them to play for sure. It must have been, like, eerie, especially from going from, you know, the Fleet Center, right. brand new building, right. yeah. to that, that building in Hartford. I think it was the Civic Center, which is – and Hartford's kind of a weird city as it is. Yep, yep. On January 5th, the Bruins host their annual Super Skills competition for the fans – and the Bruins actually needed a fill-in goalie, so where else did they look but the front office? And they end up bringing in Ryan the Wall Kane, who was just a kid, ended up playing goal for you guys during this competition. Did players enjoy these types of things, or, or was this something that, hey, we just need a day off? Can we get can we get through this thing? No, the players kind of like doing that stuff, you know, especially the younger guys. It's always fun, you know. It's fun when you do stuff like that. It's definitely. I mean, the older guys maybe didn't really like it because they, they would want the day off. But for the kids, for the younger guys, it's the skill stuff is fun, obviously. Just a few short days later, after the Super Skills competition, an article is published in the Boston Globe that discusses your teammate Sheldon Kennedy, who had been going back and forth to Alberta as part of the trial with his former coach, Graham James. This is by no means a good story, but I, I want to talk about it because I think it's important that people know about this story if they don't already, because nobody should have to go through this. You mentioned that the media was insane around this. You knew Sheldon. Can you kind of take us back and relive what you remember about all this stuff? I mean, you could definitely tell that he was struggling with something, you know, and this is, and, and we, it was kind of kept hush hush as to what was actually going on. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of all knew, obviously, because of, you know, being his teammate and friends, and we were trying to be as good a teammates and friends as you could to him. But I mean, it was, it was obviously, a, like I said, we went to Montreal, and I, I think there was, I mean, there might have been 100 media people in the locker room. I'll never forget because I sat next to him when we went to Montreal, and I was like, holy cow. I couldn't even move in the dressing room because all the Canadian media, media were there. Are you, you know? just sitting there, like, watching, like, oh, my God, like. You're just feeling sorry for Sheldon having yeah. to re, you know what I mean? Relive having it to every relive, day. Right, relive it every day, and, you know, because and, it still wasn't finalized. It was going on, you know what I mean? That's the thing. I mean, if it would have been finalized, then you could deal with it. But, I mean, it's every day, and it's still going on, and he's got to, you know, go home and go to court and go to trial and do all that, you know, it's just tough for him you know, oh. being a kid trying to play in the nhl and obviously you know he had the substance abuse problem which obviously that explains a lot of why he did and it sounds like though the bruins really supported him which i give hats off to them because at the time this was not something that's talked about like it is today 
Absolutely, for so, sure. I mean, we, they were great. They were great. On January 22nd, the Boston Bruins visited the Ottawa Senators, and this should have been your first two-goal game. But referee Paul Stewart asked the goal judge to review the goal. It's determined that Rick Tockett was in the crease and it's taken away. General manager Harry Sinden erupted after the goal was taken away. Sinden went as far back as to, or went as far as to kick the door in of the video replay booth, banged on the glass, and threatened the goal judge Ian Sabercock's job. <laughs> so, clearly Harry Sinden has a little bit of a temper. Do you recall any of this? I do remember actually reading that story that Harry did that. I, I do now that you say now that you read the story. I do remember him doing that, and and that's good. Good. He's got you know he has his players' backs, which is great. You know, I mean, obviously Harry felt it should have been a goal. So, <laughs> are guys in the locker room excited when not excited? That's not the word I want to use. But do they get pumped up when they see that their GM is going you know to battle for them like that? Oh, absolutely. You know, that's that's like the unwritten rule now where the coaches will challenge, you know, if there's a goalie, you know, for the goalie to stick up for the goalie, make that challenge just because the goalie knows you have his back. You know what I mean? And if you know the general manager has your back, that's a pretty good feeling for sure. The Bruins begin February in one of the most famous arenas in the world, Madison Square Garden, when they play the Rangers and hold on for a 3-2 to two win. Everyone tells me this arena is incredibly special, and for you it had to be even more special. You took a face-off against Wayne Gretzky. You also scored a goal during this game unbelievable game probably one of the highlights of your career i would think after you play a late game like that what what goes through your head yeah for me it was like i said i mean it, to take a face off against gretzky out like that's one thing like i'll never ever forget because it's just he was kind of i kind of tried to emulate his game obviously nobody can but i tried to i played that same sort of style of game where i was more of a passer than a scorer and it was uh and actually the funny thing that happened in that game remember when janet jones the glass fell on her I don't. I do remember that. Was that this game? That was yes. That was that game. Yep. Wow. So, yep. but that wasn't you. Yep. You didn't hit anybody in there. No, just to no, make no, it more no, memorable, no, right? No, no. Yeah. Yeah. The New York Rangers game, though, would kind of be the last highlight for a little bit. Over the next nine games, the the Boston Bruins unfortunately would not pick up a win, and after a heartbreaking three to two loss in overtime, Adam Oates undresses the front office by making several comments after the game. He pretty much said he didn't believe in what upper management was doing and was very frustrated. There was a lot of pushback from the Bruins front office. Can you set the record straight? Do you know what all this was about? Not really being a younger guy, you know, I, you're just kind of like at that point, you know, we're just, I'm just trying to survive and stay in the NHL. So for me, obviously I would stay out of any of that stuff, you know, but he's a, he's a veteran and he, you know, he's a great hockey player and he felt you know, what he felt and, you know, he didn't want, maybe he didn't want to be a part of it anymore. You know, he didn't want to be a part of the re rebuild or whatever they were doing there, you know, so. You said for him, he was kind of an idol for you or, or someone you looked up to. There are so many guys, even like yourself, that's a playmaker. That's a, a, a guy that passes. What separated him from everybody else and made him just that much better than ever? Smarter, smarter than everybody. Hockey sense. Just his Oates mind. Hockey sense. Oates his hockey sense. Yeah, Oates his hockey sense. He was always one step ahead. His anticipation and know where the puck was and know where everybody else was on the ice. Were, were some of the he was so, so special. I mean, he made so many guys. You know, look when he played with Cam or when he played with Craig Janney or when you know when he played with Brett Hall in St. Louis. I mean, he he thrived playing with guys that could score because he knew he'd get them the puck in the scoring in their scoring position. You know, I hear that his mind, like off the ice, is 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 very articulate. He's he's not your normal everyday guys does that kind of that personality that you're talking about he just kind of looks yep. at things differently yep absolutely for sure yeah there's if there's one combination that i ever want to see off the ice together it would be him and adam oates in the early 90s or him and brett hall in the early 90s <laughs> right. i heard that those guys were hysterical back yeah in the day 
Yeah. I, I guess you've talk, told me a little bit about him, but what was your personal relationship like with him? He just, you could just tell that he knew that I played maybe the same style of game that he played. Mm-hmm. So he, so he just kind of made sure that he was always on my side, you know, cause he wanted to see me succeed. And I think maybe like the style of game, you know, on the power play, I had him, I played his spot, you know what I mean? So I would only get about 15 or 20 seconds on a power play cause he wouldn't come off the ice, but that's okay. That he was entitled to that. Uh, right, when you're in the I, league that long, I guess you earn your stripes, as they say, Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. Yep. It's clear that management wasn't a fan of Adam Oates' comments, as he was part of a huge trade that took place on March 1st, just days after he made the comments, when the Bruins pull off a blockbuster deal with the Washington Capitals, sending goalie Bill Ranford, Rick Tock, and Adam Oates to the Capitals in exchange for Anson Carter, Jason Allison, Jim Carrey, and a conditional pick. This was one of the biggest trades that had taken place in the NHL in a few years. Where were you? Do you remember when you first heard this and what was your reaction? I was obviously a little bit shocked when you're losing, I mean, next to Ray, you're probably losing your three best best players, you know, and and if you look at it, those guys that they brought in were all younger guys. You know, they brought in young Jason Allison was the younger guy. I had known AC a little bit from playing at Michigan State, so Mm -hmm. I knew who AC was. And I actually played against Jason Allison in the minors, so I knew who he was. Um, Jim Carrey, I didn't know him because I didn't play against him or know him playing in the minors at all. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it was obvious that the direction they were going is to rebuild and go younger for sure. As a guy that's a younger guy on the team yourself, are you threatened at all when three new young guys come in that were just traded and, and they're clearly wanted by management? Does that ever concern you at all? I knew it was going to affect my position because basically Jason Allison came in at the go-to spot. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, so it wasn't going to be I – mean, they took three super supers. AC was more of a power forward than he was. He wasn't a centerman, so it wasn't, it wasn't something that was going to affect my position on the team anyways. What kind of impact did this trade have on the locker room? It was down. The locker room was a little bit down, you know, because those are, those guys had been around and, you know, and they were very, very good players at a big part of the room. So it's a big change, you know, no matter how strong Ray is, you know, it's still, it's, and it's, it's obviously his, it was, it's always been, it was always his room. You know, it's, it's definitely a big change and the guys were down, but it's, but we also realized that management's going to, you know, they're trying to rebuild and get younger and, you know, and start fresh. And that's what they were trying to do. So of course you have to support management for sure. One of these guys was involved in this trade has kind of become almost like a a legend in a way as people are just kind of boggled by his story. And that's Jim Carrey. And and he starts off in his first game with the Maple Leafs and lets in four goals and nine shots. <laughs> He's kind of almost like an urban legend now in the sense of he doesn't talk to fans. He doesn't communicate with the media. He wants nothing to do with hockey. Really? Uh, from, from what I understand, yeah, here's a great guy. He just wants nothing to do with the game. I, I have a friend of mine who's with the Caps alumni uh, yep. and one of the guys that manages the team, and, and they've reached out to Jim, and he just says, he's very nice, just says, I want nothing to do with hockey. Why do you think he, what do you think happened when he went from Washington to, to Boston and then being out of the league three years later? I mean, he went from being the Vesna Trophy winner to yep. down in the minors. Uh, I don't. I, it's such a peculiar position, and most goalies are a little bit off mm-hmm. to begin with. You know, they're just. It's a tough gig, and I think mentally, maybe he couldn't take. I mean, you go from DC, who is not, that's not a hockey town, right? It's not. And as you see, I see it every day on Twitter. I have to bite my tongue. Boston isn't an easy town to play in. If you're not, not at all. if you're not playing good, I mean, they're used to winning. You know, and so it's, you know, I would say maybe, maybe mentally he couldn't handle the pressure that he had that was given to him in Boston to be the number one guy in Boston, you know, because it's a tough gig. It's not easy. 
You look at Tuca. Tuca's the winningest goalie in franchise history, and he gets he hears it all the time. Oh, he still gets shit on. He gets shit on all, all the, the time, time, and I and I don't all understand it. He's done phenomenal. Yeah, it's crazy. Did you ever spend any time with him? Could you did you see him? You know, uh, Jim off the ice, kind of breaking down. No. Or, no, no, I didn't spend any time with him. No. All right. No. Despite the effort to shake things up, March would not be a kind month to the Boston Bruins as the team would lose several games. Other than a successful weekend that consisted of a pair of wins in Florida, the Bruins would only win one game in the month of March. The trade takes place. It was done to shake up the team. It didn't turn the team around. Why do you think the wheels fell off? I just think everyone realized that they were going in a rebuild, and and that once you're going into a rebuild, you know it's you don't know if you're going to be around the next year. You don't know. You know you basically guys are playing for jobs at that point, so it's kind of tears. You know, it, it's everyone's. It, maybe it was everyone kind of trying to do their own thing. You know, I don't know. I can't really explain it. But at that point, you're fighting for a job for the next for next year. You know, going into April, the Bruins would not make the playoffs and would finish the season with a record of 26, 47 and nine. The season ended, as you said, you're playing for a job. When this season ends, where are you? What is going through your mind? What are your plans for the next year? I had tried to get them to give me a one-way deal, and they wouldn't give me a one-way deal. And no, obviously, nobody ended up giving me a one-way contract because I thought that I had played well and earned a one-way deal. So I was trying to get a one-way deal. No one would give it to me. So I ended up signing a three-year deal in Cleveland in the IHL oh, because I was home. I, I came was saying, home. How nice was that to play at home? Well, I came and ho- came home. We signed. The, we had a press conference. I signed here the same. Marty St. Louis and Eric Perrin, we all signed the same day. Oh, wow. It was a big, huge press conference. So I played with Marty. Actually, Marty and I have become obviously we're pretty good buddies. And you know, he he actually reached out when he got his Hall of Fame, thanking me. You know, he shot me a text. Thanks, Harks. Oh, that's awesome. You know, you had a lot to help me. You know, you were part of helping me get to the NHL and blah 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 blah. So it was cool. You know, and I just actually I just ran into Marty when I went and saw the Bruins play in Columbus in the beginning of April because he's doing their power play stuff. So I actually ran into him. We talked for a while. So he's a good dude. So I left. I left Boston that year, and then like I said, and then I signed a three year deal in Cleveland, and I knew I was going to be here for three years it was home i was living with two of my buddies and <laughs> and that was good it was good so. it had to be a good time one last person i wanted to ask about that i didn't know how to fit into this interview but i have to ask is is current bruins gm don sweeney what was he like as a teammate he was quiet super really? quiet super quiet this is a good story so he was my roommate on the road so which is kind of where it goes it goes full circle or say it's a who you know business obviously that's how i got my job scouting for the bruins because i've been with them now for four years or whatever mm-hmm. so obviously it was because of sweens but um super quiet guy you know just went about his business he was ray's d partner which that that's always lends itself pretty well obviously if you're playing with ray and as your partner you're gonna have a good career which obviously sweens had a really good long career playing you know he's a smart smart guy obviously harvard guy who played the game smart you know, he wasn't the biggest guy, but he played hard and smart and very quiet. But we were in Buffalo, and remember when the scoreboard fell down? Oh yeah, at the old so, uh, at the old um, yeah yeah. The, or was yeah, that the new? It was stadium? the Marine Center. It was the new arena. That's but I forget right. What it was called? What was it? Was it the Marine? It was something center. Marine something. I can't remember what it was called. But but so we had our morning skate. And, and so we get a call because back then it wasn't like, you know, how those NHL guys do it now. If, I think if you're under second contract, you get your own room. Right. The They've room, done away whatever. with the roommates thing pretty yeah. much. So, so, yeah. So here's my roommate. So, like, I don't know. It's like 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock taking our pregame nap. Phone rings. I go, sweet. So they just called and said, 
the game's canceled. The scoreboard fell down. He goes, Harks, really? Is it one of your buddies that's just calling fucking with you? Because <laughs> I'd have buddies come from Buff- come from Cleveland to Buffalo because they could come see me play, right? Yeah, it's so a quick drive. No I, have a, yeah, I have a group of people. Always a group of people would come to Buffalo. He goes, it's one of your buddies that are just fucking with you. I go, no, Sweeney, it, it was, I don't know, maybe it wasn't, it wouldn't have been Chief, but it would have been someone, you know, that was doing the, you know, the PR stuff. Would have They called and they're like, game's canceled, can come down to the rink. Blah, blah, blah. We're going to fly out whenever. So, yeah. And Sweeney's like, Harks, this is one of your buddies. And I'm like, no, it's so and so from the front office. The game is canceled because the scoreboard fell and crushed the ice. He just wouldn't believe so, you. He didn't believe me. No, he's like, no way. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, you, as you've mentioned, you're, you're a scout for the Boston Bruins now. As we kind of wrap things up, tell everyone what you're up to. I, like I said, you're a scout with the Bruins. What, what, you know, you have a family. What's going on with you now? Yeah, I own a business here in Cleveland. I've owned it for 15 years, um, and I do the college free agent scouting for the Bruins. And so it's been uh, – I've been doing that for, like I said, for four years. I would say the biggest thing was that was would be the Tory Krug thing where – so when it all happened, I was coaching. I wasn't working for – the actually, when Tory signed, I wasn't working for the Bruins. Okay. We were in – I was coaching – Teams in Cleveland. I, I coach for this is the first year that I'm not coaching AAA kids in Cleveland. But uh, I was coaching and I was up in Detroit and ran into Sweeney's and we were at a Michigan State game. And I and I it and actually Tori had a hat trick that game went against been against Michigan or whatever. And I went to see Tori and then I saw Sweeney's there and I actually said Sweeney's, do you want to meet Tori after the game? So he's like, yeah, I want to meet him. So ended up introducing Tori to Sweeney's and go on and on and on. And then throughout this whole process, the end of the year comes and. I get a call. I'll never forget the first call that I got. I was pulling into Penn Station to get something to eat. Sweeney's called. He goes, what's going on with Tori? Who's what's who's involved? Blah, 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 blah. And I told him what was going on. And then I'll never forget. I was getting out of the shower. And he called. And he's like, so what's up? I go, well, I said, it's between Boston and Chicago. And he here's what Chicago's offering. Now, mind you, Tori, his, from Detroit, right? Well, Scotty Bowman is working for the Hawks at this time. So Scotty Bowman's calling his dad. Scotty Bowman's calling Tori. Wow. Blah, 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 blah. So it's tough. It's a tough sell. Yeah, for right? sure. Not going to Chicago. I said, Tori, here's what I'm going to tell you. Bruins are going to swing. I said, Tori, I talked to Sweeney's. They'll match whatever Chicago's offering, whatever Chicago offered. And I said, here's the deal, Tori. I said, think about this for a second. Boston has Yalmerson. They have Letty. They have all these guys that play the Duncan Keith, all these guys that play the same way you do. Boston does not. You need to become a Boston Bruin. Got to be different. And it was him and I. Him and I were the only ones that wanted him to sign in Boston. Not even his agent, his dad, his brothers. Everyone wanted him to sign in Chicago. But we ended up getting to Boston, and I think it's been a good fit for everybody. I, 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 I'd say so for sure. Yeah. So I'd, I'd say so for sure. Well, I'll tell you what. I know you're on Twitter. What's uh? How can people find you? Reach you if they want to follow you on Twitter. What's uh, all that? It's stuff? Harkins forty four. Harkins forty four. I want to thank Brett again for coming on. And I actually was going back and editing this last night and a question kind of came up in my head. He said he signed it with the team in Cleveland and I was kind of, I didn't really understand why you would sign a three-year deal with a minor league team. Didn't make a lot of sense to me. So I asked him about it and I said, is there any type of clause in your contract that could get you out of it? If you were offered an NHL contract and he said every contract that he signed in the minors, or at least most of them had some sort of out clause where if the NHL called you up, you could go ahead and get out of your contract. And that's actually what happened to Martin St. Louis. And that makes sense to me because after all, I don't think your goal is not necessarily to be in the minors, which there's nothing wrong with that, but your goal is always to get to the highest point you can. And there's more money in the National Hockey League. So of course I would think there have to be an out. And he said there definitely was. 
Want to thank Brett for coming on again and wishing him and the Boston Bruins luck as they pursue the Stanley Cup. And that's all I've got. I'm going to go ahead and head to work. In the meantime, don't forget to tune in on Monday next week and Thursday as well, of course, for part two. But I've got a really good interview I'm excited to share. It's a player that probably a lot of people aren't familiar with. But this guy squeezed in one year in the National Hockey League more than probably most players do their entire career. And he kind of was a little controversial. He's recently been involved in some controversy, but he's a great guy, and I think everyone will enjoy it. So anyways, we will talk again soon. See you on Monday at 8 a.m.